well, they said it was safe, solid as a rock, unshakable. So confident were they that in order to save space, you guys know the story, um, they only provided lifeboats for half the passengers. And then on April 15th, 1912, on her first voyage across the Atlantic, the Titanic struck an iceberg and sank with the loss of 1,513 lives. I guess a lesson that we can learn from it um, is that we can often think that we're safe when in fact we're not. Uh, We can think that we're secure when we're anything but secure. Um, We can live our lives with an illusion of safety. Uh, Tonight we're going to shatter a different illusion of safety that we live with. We're dealing with some heavy stuff. Um, If you didn't pick it up when the passage was being read, um, we're actually talking about God's judgment tonight. In this passage, Paul's speaking to a bunch of people who reckon they're safe, but they're actually not. And if you understand the passage rightly tonight and work with me through it, you're going to feel unsafe and insecure for a lot of the talk tonight. If you understand this passage right, a lot of what I say will leave you feeling scared. But stay with me. Um, We're going to have a close look at God and at his judgment and a close look at ourselves so we can strip away the false hope and false ideas of safety that we have and so we can see how lost we really are so then we can turn to where real hope is. The first thing I want you guys to see is that God's judgment is inescapable. Look with me at verses 6 to 8. It's talking about judgment from verse 5 and it says that God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. The passage is pretty clear that each person will be judged and that this judgment will lead to one of two things, either eternal life or wrath and anger. And look, to make sure that you actually got the point, Paul repeats almost exactly the same thing straight after he said it the first time. Have a look at verses 9 and 10. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The fact is that when your life is over, God will judge you and will give you one of two things, eternal life or anger and wrath. And this, if this is true, even if you don't like it, even if you don't believe in it, that does not mean it will not affect you. It's like gravity. Um, I hope you guys have all learnt by now what gravity is. And if not, I would suggest that you don't go into um, flying aeroplanes or bungee jumping. Um, basically... Gravity means that things are attracted to more massive things and because the earth is the most massive thing around us, um, that means that if I let go of something like a piece of paper, there we go, it's attracted to the ground um, and it's going to fall. Here's my point. No matter how much I don't like gravity, um, no matter how much I don't believe in it, it's still going to affect me. So if I step off the stage right now... um, not believing in gravity, I'm still going to fall and probably squash a couple of people at the front. Um, And God's judgment is the same. 
whether or not you like the idea of God and his judgment, whether or not you believe in him, he believes in you and he will judge you at the end of your life. The God of the universe has made his intentions clear. Don't live in denial about judgment. If you have questions, if you have doubts, sort them out, look into them. But to just sit there and think that just because you don't believe something means that somehow you'll be safe from it is foolish and it's dangerous. The second thing I want you guys to see um, from the passage, and I think it's actually one of the main points Paul's trying to get across, is that God's judgment is based on what you do. Have a look with me again at verses 6 to 8. It says that God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Paul's pretty clear. God judges based on what you do. If you're persistently good, if you're always good, God will give you eternal life. But if you are anything apart from that, if you are selfish and reject the truth, you'll get wrath and anger. And that is crushing and dreadful news for humanity. Why is that news so disastrous? Because none of us are good. Have a glance over your page um, at Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. It says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Did you hear that? There is no one who does good, not even one. The Bible is clear and if you look honestly at yourself and everyone you know, you'll know it pretty clearly too, that no one is good. So if God, the perfect, holy, just God, judges us by our actions and getting eternal life requires being persistently good, being always good, and no human is good, where does that leave us? Ruined? without hope, condemned. And this is Paul's point for like two whole chapters. We looked last week about how everyone can see God in creation, but no one responds rightly to him. Um, And this passage, Paul's addressing a group of people who are playing games with God's judgment, but he's showing them up, showing them that they're actually as hopeless as the rest of humanity. Um, And Paul keeps on going with his whole argument for a whole nother chapter, Um, Until he gets up to chapter 3, verse 19, where at last he says that every mouth is silenced and the whole world is held accountable to God. Who can stand before the holy, just God of the universe? No one. But, you know, we try and get ourselves out of this situation. We try and convince ourselves that we're all right, that things are really not as bad as they are. Um, Here are three games that we play with God's judgment. Uh, First of all, we play the game of sliding standards. Standards. We convince convince ourselves that God judges by these. And we say, yeah, okay, there's judgment, um, but I'll be okay. 
well, why will you be okay? Because God will accept those who persist in good, like it said in verse 6. Well, do you persist in good all the time? Oh, oh no, but God will accept those who try to persist in good all the time. Well, do you try to persist in good all the time? Well, no, but God will accept me because I want to try and persist in good all the time. Well, do you want to try and persist in good all the time? When it comes down to it, we get to what we're really thinking, that God will accept me because I want to be accepted. No, the Bible is explicit. It is crystal clear. Verses 6 to 10, we've just looked at them. Um, If you do not persist in doing good, there is only wrath and trouble. You know something else that we do? is that we point the finger at others. Okay, so I might not do good all the time, but I'm sure I'm not as bad as this person, so I must be fine. No. Verse 6, God will give to each person according to what he has done. It's like driving through roadworks. Um, Going 40 seems really slow and it's super annoying. Um, And so, like, I let myself creep up to 50 because I can see someone speeding off in the distance. And I'm like, oh, see, look at them. I'm fine. Like, I'm hardly going above the speed limit. Um, But the speed camera will get both of us. It doesn't matter that that person is going faster. I'm still guilty of doing the wrong thing. You cannot escape God's judgment by pointing your finger at others. The third game that we play is that we trust in religion. We think that we can somehow earn brownie points with God um, and and that will somehow make up for all the times that we stuff up. What's this passage say? No, that will not work. Uh, Have a look at verses 9 to 11. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. The Jews in Rome thought that because they were Jews and they had heaps of history with God, that they'd get shown special favours and get in regardless of what they did. Paul smashes them. God does not show favouritism. Being a Jew won't save you. Going to youth group or church won't save you. Reading the Bible sometimes, being in a Christian family, going to a Christian school, being baptised, won't save you. God does not show favouritism and doing heaps of religious stuff won't change the fact that you do not persistently do good. This passage has devastating news for all of us. It strips away the illusion of safety we live with Should you be scared of God's judgment right now? You certainly should. But is there any hope? Yes. True safety. The third thing I want you guys to understand tonight is where true hope and true safety lie. You don't see it in this particular passage, but I want you to remember back a couple of weeks and flick with me to chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. These are the verses that Paul gave the Romans to hold on to while he spent two chapters showing them how hopeless they were. Um, So look, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. 
I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You can't ever hope to be good enough to be saved by yourself. But amazingly, God intervenes and offers us the safety we could never earn. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus, who is persistently good, he's perfect, dies on the cross and takes the punishment that we deserve and offers us his perfection so that if we trust in his sacrifice and turn to him as our saviour and our king, God will give us the eternal life we didn't deserve. So what do we do with this? Um, Number one, accept it. The choice is so obvious. You have no hope by yourself. Accept Jesus' gift of life and turn to live with thankfulness and love with him as your king. If you're not a Christian here tonight, this is something I want you to take away from tonight. You have no hope by yourself. Your only hope is in Jesus. If you're not sure where you will stand with God at judgment, chat to your leader or a friend about it tonight. Don't just sit there hoping that something that you're not sure about or don't believe in or don't like will somehow not apply to you. But if you have already accepted it, rejoice. Um, We've talked about tonight how hopeless we are by ourselves and that should remind us of how much God has done for us and that should cause us to be super thankful. Uh, To finish, I just want to play you guys a song. It's more of a poem or spoken word or something um, by a guy called Jimmy Needham um, and I reckon it gives a good summary of some of the stuff that we've talked about tonight. Um, The lyrics will come up on the screen, um, so just take a second to listen. No one is good. There is not even one. The front pages of papers of children raped by rapists, Iraqi torture chambers, and we the blame claim we're blameless, wrong, all. And swelling up inside of us, there's this pride in us, this arrogance. And our only line of defense is the sense that I'm not half as bad as this friend of mine, so I must be fine. We mean well, don't we? Yet I've never seen good intentions set a man free from hurt all. This poor, unfortunate soul filling a single void with toy after toy, girl after boy. How boring. This wasn't meant to be humanity's life story, warring with God saying, what have you done for me? Bought all. Hanging out for six hours, marred beyond recognition, in complete submission to the Father's will. Still, a proclamation was made louder than the loudest temptation with more beauty than all his creation, more eternal than eternity, more angelic than the heavenlies. It is done. You are bought with blood. Accept and rejoice, for freedom has come. Accept 
and rejoice, for freedom has come. Um, If you're not sure where you'll stand with God come judgment, make sure you talk to someone about it tonight. Um, Why don't I pray for us? Dear God, we thank you so much that uh, you have been so clear with us about your intentions for the world. We thank you that um, we can see you clearly and we know that um, there is a day coming when we must give an account for our lives. Um, God, we recognise that we are sinful people. We turn away from you. Um, We have selfish motivations for even the slightly good stuff that we do. And so, God, we recognise that by ourselves we are without hope and we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that um, through him we can come back into relationship with you and can look forward to spending eternity with you. And we pray, God, that, yeah, you would help us all to see how important this decision is, that you'd help us to accept your gift of life and to turn and follow you with our whole lives. Amen.